Well, welcome to our last talk here of our series titled Roots, titled Roots here at the eight. For most of us, we define love in one of these three categories. It's all about me, love, what's best for me, convenience, which is kind of connected, and sexuality. We all connect those three when it comes to love. What society, when we think of the word love, we think of those three. What's best for me as far as self-love is concerned, which is not a, it's a good topic, but I'm saying that's for a different time. But everything is rotated around me. What's convenient for me? Let me give you one example. We can all agree we should love our neighbor. But if it inflicts on my freedom, that's when I draw the line. That's when I draw the line. Think about it this way. How many people are drawing guns and raising hell for wearing a mask inside Walmart or any other store? I can love somebody, but if it inflicts on my freedom, that's where I draw the line. In other words, we define what love is for everyone a little bit different. We draw the line for ourselves. What's convenient for me to love somebody without making myself uncomfortable? So we define what love is for ourselves. Either it's all rotated around me, convenience, or sexuality. And, that, and that's our view, our, our optics of how we view love for many of us. This entire series, our entire conversation in life groups is rotated around the purest essence as far as what love is. It rotates on one central theme as far as what divine love is. And it all comes down to a quote that we've been focusing on from St. Gregory, who said this in the fourth century. He said these beautiful words in which we pray till today in our ancient liturgical worship in the Orthodox Church. We say these words, the oneness of heart that is of love, may it take root in us. The oneness of heart that is of love. Every single one here wants oneness of heart. But sometimes it's easy for us to love in this direction to this person. But that person, absolutely not. I don't want to see that person. I don't want to hear that person's name. And we define as far as what love is. But for us to have oneness of heart, it has to be rooted in divine love. We can all agree it's not easy. I can't say it. I said it last Sunday or the, the Sunday before. If you have a pulse, then you realize it is super hard to love intentionally, unconditionally, sacrificially. It is super hard, but this is our divine design and our calling if we are claiming to be followers of Jesus. And when we do this, this is where we find life. Oneness of heart for me to love at a four-way stop is pretty easy, right? This person goes first and I go second. But if someone disagrees with me on my political views or what I said on social media, I defriend them or I unfriend them right? We define our own version as far as what love looks like. If it's convenient or it's easy, it follows the rules, easy. But if you disagree with me, we're not talking anymore. Here's our focus for today. What should my heart be set on in the midst of issues? Like when I'm having pain or confusion or anxiety, what should my heart be set on? What should be my mindset during those times? Follow-up question. What should my heart be set on in times of uncertainty? Do you know what really annoys me? Is the phrase times of uncertainty, right? I'm hearing it all over the news. These are uncertain times. Can you tell me when is not an uncertain time? Like if we start saying that this is uncertain times, what are we saying? We're saying that there are times where everything is certain. I, that doesn't exist. As long as we are temporal limited beings, 
then we understand there are tons of variables that are outside of our control, but our life is in the palm of our Heavenly Father. So this is a guarantee that there are always going to be times of uncertainty. If it's COVID-related or political-related, there's always going to be times of uncertainty. So I don't want us psychologically to fall into the trap that, yeah, these are times of uncertainty, but once we have the vaccine, we'll be out of times of uncertainty. There will always be times of uncertainty. This was a guarantee by God himself. And you get this, if you can remember life before COVID, there are times of uncertainty. All times are times of uncertainty. But here's our million-dollar question. What should my heart be set on in pursuing the ethic of love? What should my heart be set on in pursuing the ethic of love? I know that might be a weird question, but this central question is what drove the first century church with all their issues and pandemics. It was this question that drove them. And let me explain further. An early Christian, actually an early Christian deacon by the name of St. Stephen, he was a very eloquent speaker, great public communicator, and because of his zeal for the mission of the church, of helping the underserved, he was persecuted. And to the point that the, the, the lawmakers, the leaders of the city said, you know what, let's stone him outside and just leave his body to rot. And this was their mission to do this. Because, just to give you a historical context, ever since Pontius Pilate put the decree for Jesus to be crucified, it was super easy for anyone else, for any Pharisee, for anyone else who disagreed with the way, which would be followers of Christ, but back then, they were more of a cult titled The Way. The, the, the mission was just beginning as far as followers of Jesus. So people titled them as far as being followers of the way. It was easy then for anyone who was following the way for them to be stoned or for them to be persecuted. So everyone else took control. They weren't waiting for a decree from Pontius Pilate if I can persecute Christians. I can easily do it myself. So they took St. Stephen outside and they stoned him to death. And from then, we see so much hardships and drama and pain and confusion in the church. Let's see, we continue. So what I wanna look now is at the record of the early church, written by St. Luke, who did comprehensive research and was part on part of the, the, the missions and part of being there in the first century as far as knowing some of the issues that the church ran into. This is where we're picking up in Acts chapter eight, verse number one, where it says this. On that day, which is uh, 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 on, the, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. So, like, there was so much persecution occurred from Saint Stephen, who was a leader, a deacon in the church, him being stoned and his body to rot. Persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All the apostles were scattered all throughout a, a, a very wide region throughout Judea and Samaria. A historian would read this, saying persecution broke out, everyone is dispersed, so the mission or the movement of the way faded away, and the movement of Christianity came to absolute. Most historians would come to that, which is logical, but we continue. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I do not want us to read this passively and say, okay, they were scattered and they preached the word of God. Yay, they're apostles. They, they told people about Jesus. And we kind of look through that. Think of the amount of drama and stress that Stephen, an appointed deacon, persecuted. And, and, and so much stress and anxiety was being, was being in, in, embedded in the way. 
in the movement of the way, in the movement of Christianity, that through hardship, they asked, what does love require of me? And they continued to push love and tell others about the reality of Jesus. The, the disciples were not saying, God, why has this wrath come upon us? What have we done for this to occur? For Stephen, our friend, to get persecuted and to die, what should we do? Now I should just stay home and watch Netflix and just forget about this entire movement of the way. They had every right to just let everything fade away. But the mission continues. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Antioch is 300 miles away. So the only example I can think about is we're about 300 miles away from Panama City Beach, just because that's where I was last week, so I know it's about 300 miles. That's super far, okay? Okay, that's a, a long car ride. Now imagine walking that. So here, they're traveling as far as Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. This kind of stuck out to me, to be honest, when I, was, when I was reading it this week, that they were focusing on telling Jews about the rabbi, Jesus, him being the fullness of God, him being divinity and humanity in one. So they were focusing on telling Jews about the reality of who Jesus was and is. Some of them, however, Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. What stuck out to me is that the mission of the first century church was focusing on Jews. It's a little bit easier for them to tell them about the transition from, from Judaic law, Mosaic law, to its fulfillment in Jesus, so they can continue in that transition. But the reality of Christianity, there is no limitations, there's no boundaries, there's no, like, I can, I can continue to tell people about the reality of who Jesus is, regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their psychological background, regardless of, of any trauma or their childhood, the reality of who Jesus is can be explained and brought to anyone's mindset if we are strategic. But our way of how we communicate with a Jew might be different than how we communicate with Greeks, but I'm just, I wanted to, what stuck out to me is how strategic the church was as far as how they pushed love depending on their needs. The, new, the, the, the needs of the Jews were completely different than the needs of the Greeks, and this should be the mission of the church. How we approach people, how we are called to be a light to others, depends on who I'm talking to, depends who I'm in, in, in connection with. This is the mission of the church. The, ch the church continues to mold and transition and to be dynamic, to bring people to the reality of who Jesus is. We continue. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. The growth of the church in the midst of crisis continued to grow to the point they needed to delegate and recruit Barnabas to come travel 300 miles to go to Antioch, which is a completely different culture, completely different world compared to Jerusalem. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. In the midst of crisis, the disciples, Saul, Barnabas, these missionaries did not pause and say, man, it really stinks right now. 
you know what, it's better for us to just hang low. Let's just kind of just get together and just kind of watch some like movies at home and just wait until things cool down. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of, of pain, they were asking one central question that brought healing to them and to others. What does love require of me to push this divine ethic of unconditional sacrificial love in the midst of so much confusion? With their lives at risk, they continue to push the mission of Jesus. Wouldn't this be great if this was the story of the church in the midst of COVID? Think about this for a second. Wouldn't this be amazing if this was the mission of the church? It's easy for us to say, I have every right, you know what, not to continue to grow as a child of God. It's every right for me not to worry about this person. I can just stick with myself, just, just me and my, my, my close family, my close friends, and just be in my own bubble. But what if we ask the question, in the midst of so much confusion and pain, how can I push unconditional love to others? During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine, famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And St. Luke, who recorded the, this, the, this event, he adds this, this, happening, this happened during the reign of Claudius. He's intentionally wanting to add this for historical evidence of this reality. When we think of the word famine, it, like, it doesn't really like, uh, resonate any emotion within us, right? We, we can't really relate to, to famines here in America. So it doesn't make sense to us that there being a famine. But as a famine now was b b about to take over the first century church, they continued to push through this pandemic. They asked, okay, how with wisdom, discernment, and us being safe, how can we push love to others? God honored their adjustment. God honored their adjustment and their transition to life through the midst of this pandemic. God honored on how they were rooted in divine love and how they were rooted in this divine ethic. If we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I'm easy to come with an excuse of why I shouldn't do this or do that. I can justify it very clearly. It might be right, it might not, but I do need to talk it out with someone to make sure that I'm not blinding myself from reality. But as the disciples continue to push and empower and encourage each other for them to get out of their comfort zone, they continue to push the ethic of love unconditionally to others in the midst of so much pain and confusion. What does the divine ethic of love require of you? What inspired the first century church and what should inspire us is one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. That St. John, a first eyewitness of Jesus, said that God gave, God so loved the world that he gave himself. How are we giving of ourselves? Again, we can be wise and safe on how we do this, but how are we giving of ourselves? In the midst of pain and crisis, there will always be pain and crisis. There will always be times of uncertainty. What is our response? What's a constant is pain in this world. Actually, Jesus guaranteed there will always be pain in this world. If it's COVID-19, COVID-20, whatever the case, there's always going to be something. 
And there's always going to be pain in our lives. People will continue to disappoint us. People will continue to hurt us. What is our response? I am very proud of several people, and many people in the church. This week, we're partnering with a nonprofit group called OneSite to offer eye care for those who do not have eye insurance this coming week. That in the midst of it, we could easily say, you know what, let's not do something like that because of, of the risk. Okay, how, how can we use science to, to do this safely, to serve those who are not served? I'm so proud of, 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 of so many leaders in the church leading life groups. They could easily say, you know what, I don't, uh, this is the time for us to just stay at home and just kind of watch like, you know, videos and stuff at, at night. We don't need to like turn on Zoom to do any type of like church meeting or anything. But they continue to push through. Isn't it easy after a long day of work just to kind of just sit at home and do nothing? I get it. And we need days like that. I'm not, I'm not putting that aside. But my fear for myself and for all of us, that we drift into that and we forget to ask the question, what does love require of me? Because when I push unconditionally, this is where I find life for myself and edification for those around me. So I'm so proud of, 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 of the life group. We have a young adult life group, a high school life group. There's, there's tons of others. And I'm so proud of so many people pushing that. And I'm so proud of you for those who sign up and are being faithful and being committed to continuing to grow in, in a life group in the midst of so much times of uncertainty. My prayer is that we do not get lost in just my own version of love, my own version of how to be rooted in self-love. Self-love is great. I'm not putting that down. But for us to be off balance, where it's all about me, it's all what's convenient to me, or I come up with my own version or my own definition as far as what love is, and I get lost in politics, lost in when is the vaccine going to come, when, and I'm so lost on external things that throw me off balance. But the driving question that drove the first century church to thrive what does, divine, what does the divine ethic of love ask of me to do? It's a broad question, but your answer might be a little bit different than mine. I want to make this disclaimer. We're wrapping up the series about divine love. I didn't talk about how we should prioritize self-love, self-care. I didn't talk about that. I didn't talk about how to have healthy boundaries in your relationships or for those who hurt you. I didn't talk about how, if I love someone, does that mean I approve of their life? Those are big topics that I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out that we're not discussing, and those are kind of brought up in your life group. This could go on forever, of how we can push ourselves to tap into the reality and be rooted in divine love. But what I want, I want us to look at the center of divine love. As Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Passover, such a radical move by Jesus, which was so countercultural, which left the disciples speechless, is that Jesus, not a servant, pulls a bowl of water and tells his disciples, come, get in a line. Let me wash your feet. And it left them speechless because Jesus put love into action. From there, at this very sensitive and emotional evening, because everyone in the room 
could sense the tension with Judas. They could see it in Jesus' eyes as far as what would occur that evening. That John, an eyewitness, leaning into Jesus, recorded a very passionate word that Jesus shared with his disciples, with his inner circle. And St. John, as a witness, recorded these words for us. What I wanted to do is I wanted to read a passage for you from this record. If you want to open on your Bible, that's fine. But what's more important to me is I want you to pray this. I want you to be as John is in this picture, in this icon. You are holding onto every letter of the one who loves you unconditionally, the one who is putting love into action, the one who is giving of himself, and the words that he's sharing with his disciples, who he's been with for years now, that he's wanting to connect with them on a personal level before he gives himself up to death. And he shares very personal and moving words. Even if you do not capture everything, I want you to capture the essence of Jesus' last words with his disciples and the clarity of what love is with them. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 13, starting from verse 34. This is kind of like his mission, like farewell spiel, if you will, to his disciples. I encourage I encourage you to pray this. You close your eyes, gaze at the icon, put yourself at the Last Supper. Put yourself in the shoes of St. John as he is standing and just, just gazing at Jesus as he says these words. After Jesus has washed their feet and left them speechless, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will, not, will, will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, and you will also live. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will not longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, 
that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him And throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now... They have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. 
These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he said a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, 
See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's stand up and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. You call us your friends. You have called us your friends to be the image of you. Lord, I have not met a single person who says loving is easy. But this is our calling. This is where we find you. This is where we find life. When we love unconditionally. Out of anything you could have told your disciples that night, you made it clear to them that it will be the Holy Spirit who will convict them, who will empower them to love one another unconditionally. Lord, I pray that myself, that our church, that we can be rooted in this love, that we can be rooted in these words that you emotionally shared with your disciples and made clear to them as far as their mission is concerned. And this is our mission. This is the mission of the first century church. Lord, give us clarity for us not to fall into the trap of just doing what's convenient for us. Or, you know what? I can easily do what's best for me, guilt-free. But for us to comfortably be uncomfortable. For us to ask that central question, what does love require of me? Through the prayers of St. John, the Apostle, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a reminder, next week, our kids...